Welcome to Inside the Match, where Alex and Simone talk residency applications. We are two residents here to help you navigate the match. For each podcast, we'll bring you residents from various specialties and backgrounds to give advice. So today we are super excited to talk all about pulmonary and critical care fellowships. We are super excited to have Dr. Cooper join us. So thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Cooper. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really a pleasure to be here. So what is your official position title? So I am the Assistant Program Director of the Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine Fellowship at The Ohio State University uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And so I have um, a number of medical education roles across the College of Medicine and, um, and in graduate medical education, but my main role and my passion is really fellowship education. So over the course of your time being in residency program administration, what are you actually looking for in a pulmonary critical care fellowship applicant? When we evaluate applications and send out interview invitations and, and, and meet people during interview days, um, there's I guess, several factors that we look at. And most importantly, we want to interview and meet um, good people who are team players and have demonstrated um, uh, kind of positive contributions to the cultures of their programs um, as best we can kind of tell from, from you know, meeting them through, through ERAS. You know, we want to um, interview clinically competent individuals and those who have demonstrated a, a passion that they've pursued that, that lights their fire, that seems to kind of animate their interest in, in pulmonary and critical care medicine. And that can span the gamut from bench research to clinical excellence. And, but we, we really want to, to see all of those factors you know, when, we're, when we're selecting our match. So the actual process to apply to fellowship, people say is easier and more casual and more fun than what it was like for residency. Residency is one in which people spend a lot of money, a lot of time, and it's incredibly exhausting and nerve wracking to apply for the residency match. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how the actual fellowship application and interview process may differ from the residency application and or interview process to calm some of our nerves. The scale is smaller, and I don't know if that could be where some of the um, intimidation for residency application comes from. I certainly experienced that when I was applying to internal medicine, um, just because the classes are bigger, there has been a less body of work that any given applicant has had because they've been in medical school and they haven't done residency yet. Whereas we get to fellowship, you know, there is a, there's more of a body of work behind that a person's done clinically and academically and um, a mentoring network and a polishing um, and a maturation that comes with having gone through a residency and people that are applying for a fellowship, they could be preparing to go out and work as independent practitioners, but they're choosing to do fellowship. So, you know, it, it's just a different stage of, of life and maturity that comes with applying to fellowship generally. And, and I think the smaller scale allows for smaller interview days. It allows for a more detailed look perhaps at at what someone's done just because there's just are fewer people that are being interviewed on a given day. At least my experience when I was applying to fellowship, I felt like I just felt more prepared to express myself and my interests. And I had, you know, I, my interests had, had an additional two plus years to kind of, you know, marinate and bake in the oven. And I just felt a little bit more prepared to, to share my vision of who I was. 
And something that is so neat about the fellowship interview process is that along the way, even if you are not going to be going somewhere, if you don't end up matching at a specific place, these are all going to be your future colleagues, whether it be the people you are interviewing with that are applicants or the faculty in general, when you are applying to a smaller specialty like fellowship, these are people that you could see at conferences for many years to come. That's absolutely right. That was my lived experience. Um, I'm definitely still in contact with several faculty members that I met on the interview trail, even though I didn't end up matching at their programs. And so you're 100% right that as that um, specialization increases, the ability to build those connections, um, regardless of whether you train at a program, definitely are there. And during residency, it's a lot of work. You know, there's a lot of things you have to learn clinically and it can be overwhelming at times. And then when you're thinking about applying within your second and your third year, you might be thinking about the fact that you may need a mentor to be writing you letters of recommendation, or you may be looking out for research projects to be able to make yourself competitive in a field like pulmonary critical care. So can you tell us about whether the research aspect and the other opportunities opportunities that people may want to be a part of in residency, such as extracurriculars, whether or not those play a role when making someone a competitive applicant for a specialty? You know, I think it's important. And obviously, it may differ depending on the specialty. But in, in general, and I can probably speak best for my own specialty in pulmonary and critical care medicine, having something animates the individual and that they're passionate about and that they've poured energy into and have production from, whatever that means, is, is actually, I think, very important, um, especially as you get to more academic programs. And sometimes when, I, when applicants will come and talk to me and they'll ask about research opportunities, I'll say, you know, let's, let's get you connected with potential, re, potential research men, mentors, but let's also but take a step back and say, you know, what do you want to spend your extra time doing and working on? And certainly research is one terrific option. If somebody is interested in health policy or medical education or narrative medicine, medical humanities, or carving a clinical niche, those are equally valid and are very compelling. And so I think research is one very valid and important way to demonstrate that academic ex excellence, but it's by no means the only way. And I think I think that's a, you know, that's a 2021 approach to, to fellowship education. And I think that's how, in general, where graduate medical, graduate medical education, the ethos of graduate medical education is moving, where research is awesome, but it's just not the only awesome thing that can help people match in fellowship. That is so important for people to recognize that there are so many ways in which you can utilize your interests to be able to do things throughout residency and find those mentors along the way. So, you know, I think a helpful barometer is because residence time is so limited um, and valuable when they're not seeing patients that if you're going to be pursuing scholarly work, you have to be very, very careful and thoughtful about what you say yes to. Those things should be something that you are okay spending some of that free time chipping away at and making progress on, you know, and still being able to kind of maintain that work-life balance. And so if it's not something that you're really excited about and are willing to kind of to carve out little bits of extra time for, um, it'll make it harder to make progress on a given project during, during residency. And then it's harder to translate that into a, a compelling narrative for an application. And like you said, this research process takes a long amount of time and 
a lot of extra work outside your residency day. And so let's go to the actual application process. You know, there's lots of questions on, you know, where to apply, how many to apply to, but I think even more importantly than those questions is for applicants to figure out how they can help differentiate some of the programs that they're looking at, whether they're looking at programs on a specific coast or they're looking at programs that have more academic spheres. What are some ways in which programs can maybe be more unique to fit someone's interests? It's very important for applicants to know what their anchors are. And anchors are maybe simply defined are the things that matter most and that they can build their application plan around. And like you said, a lot of them, you already mentioned geography, different kind of subspecializations. Like maybe somebody has an interest in cystic fibrosis. They want to make sure they train at a cystic fibrosis center. It may be potential research mentors or a research agenda that they've already done work in and that they want to build a bridge with fellowship. It could be opportunities to do, you know, mentors who could help in something like big data analytics, making sure that they go to a place that has those mentors that can have the tools to help them succeed. It could be, you know, it could be geography based on weather, based on family, based on just wanting to try something new and live in a new place. There's lots of di- there's lots of different anchors that people can choose and I I just what I when I counsel residents starting this process, I suggest that they identify early what those anchors are for them and that can help them determine that. The the second and really important factor is harder to quantify in the age of virtual interviewing, which is probably here to stay at least in some capacity and and that is the culture and sense of home when you encounter a program. And right now applicants have had to do that virtually. Previously, they were able to do that in person, which I think is easier to get a sense of a place in person. Not impossible to do virtually. And certainly our program, we do our very best to project who we are, you know, who are, what our most basic, you know, values and 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 the soul of our program are. We do our best to project that virtually and on our website and in our conversations with applicants, but it is easier to share that in person. And so like what I remember when I interviewed at for fellowship, and it was true for residency as well, there was a difference for me between programs that felt like home and programs that didn't feel like home. And I just tried to listen to myself and my own thoughts when I would go to that go to go to programs and say, okay, is this a place that feels like home? Or is this a place that doesn't quite feel as much like home? And that for me was a very important dividing line in my, my rank list. Like for me, my anchors were geography and family, opportunities in medical education, and that feeling of home. And so my my own rank list kind of ended up going down along those lines. And something that, you know, I always look at when uh, trying to determine whether or not fellows even really enjoy where they are is to see if there are fellows that become attendings. And I know, you know, that you became an attending at Ohio State or the Ohio State. So it is really neat to be able to see when fellows do graduate that some of them are getting jobs at that institution if they are interested in academic work. Yeah, and honestly, I think the most important part of that equation, because I think you're you're correct that that is an important thing for an applicant to notice, but the most important part of that equation is that the graduating fellows want to stay. So not that they can stay or do stay, but that they want to stay. And so I think that says something about the, um, the inclusive culture of a program that people are happy and they want to stay. That was certainly my experience at Ohio State and why I wanted to go there to train and why I wanted to stay on faculty. 
And let's go into some of the nitty gritty of the application process. Many residents are so worried about the fact that USMLE Step 3 or Comlex Level 3 is something that is on their application. So I'm wondering if this exam is reviewed during the application process, and if so, what it actually might mean for an applicant. So ERAS does make USMLE or COMLEX 3, Step 3 or COMLEX Level 3 available to programs. It's visible. I'd, my, in general, like we don't really put a lot of weight in a Step 3 score. And obviously the equation is changing in terms of Step 1 becoming pass-fail. But I, I don't anticipate this really change. I don't anticipate Step 3 becoming more important than it is now. That's my own personal opinion. But I think in terms of from an applicant's point of view, Step 3 is most important if step one or step two had low scores, because then step three becomes an opportunity to show growth and to demonstrate that for whatever reason, whatever struggles occurred there have now been addressed. And so I think that's probably what's most important from an applicant standpoint is if they had that struggle with an earlier step or complex level that, that step three can show that growth, but we really don't put a lot of stock in it. What about another exam that is taken by internal medicine applicants, and that's their in-training exam? Is that something that a fellowship program director would know the score of, and does that play a role within the application review process as well? No, we have no idea about in-training exam scores. Um, you know, the, in terms of the the residency program director, letters will convey a sense of academic accomplishment about a given applicant, but in-training exam is not something that we are really privy to and are certainly important for residents to, to do well in and to work and to work toward in terms of preparation for their board exams, but, but it's not something that factors into the fellowship decision at all. That's great to know because it is, like you said, a wonderful way to learn what you may not know and what you might need to work on, but it is also something that may be less of a stressor when it comes to applying to the fellowship process. So you have shared with us so many tips in regards to applying into pulmonary and critical care fellowships. And I'm wondering if there are any other tips that you would like to share about this whole fellowship application journey. So I find it really helpful for residents as they are um, starting the process and they're thinking about um, what, they, what their application is gonna look like to try to create a narrative for themselves. And a narrative that involves the, where they've come from in life, in, in medicine, what they're doing now, how that relates to where they were, and where their vision is for themselves in the future. Because in fellowship, like like you said early on, you're you're joining a subspecialized field. And so we do want to have a sense of where applicants see their place in the specialty and how they want to contribute. And so that that narrative from a fellowship standpoint is very, very helpful to know. Because otherwise we're guessing and we're trying to look at scraps of information and say, okay, you know, what what is this? person seem like they're about, but if an applicant can create, can craft that narrative, their, their journey from where they were, where they are and where they're going, that is very helpful. And that generally manifests in the personal statement, but also the extracurricular academic opportunities that, that residents take on and do that hopefully that all, that those, those things that they're doing fit in with the narrative that they're, that they're, that they're telling and conveying the personal statement. And then on, and then on the interview trail, that process is continued. And again, it's an opportunity. And I think that's the most important part of interviews is to tell your story, to say who, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And this is what I want to do in the future. I find that to be so important for applicants to try to do. 
Well, Dr. Cooper, we have one last question to add on to your own narrative for this podcast. Do you have a fun fact to share about yourself totally unrelated to the field of medicine? Absolutely. So in um, college, I went to Yeshiva University, which is in Manhattan in New York City. Um, I was fortunate enough to play uh, for their basketball team for one year. It's Division Three basketball. Um, at the time, we were the one of the worst teams in the country, and I was the worst <laughs> player on our team. Um, and I did it for one year. And when I had to sign up for like organic chemistry and physics, I was like, you know, I, I just I don't think this is going to work for me. <laughs> I don't have a future in basketball. So I left the team. And um, perhaps by coincidence, perhaps by not over time, they got better after I left the team. Um, and now they're actually the um, they're the number one team in Division three right now. And They've on, they're on like a 45, 46 game win streak, something like that. And so it's been a lot of fun to watch my alma mater thrive in a basketball sense. Uh, certainly when I played there, we were really not very good. Wow. Well, that is an amazing fun fact to add to your narrative. Well, that's all the time we have today with Dr. Cooper. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Match. Special thanks to Kevin McCloyd for the music and be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Catch our next podcast to learn more application tips from another awesome leader in medical education. 